I think you put some there. Thank you very much. My name is Joseph, and it's a great pleasure and a privilege to be here at Liberty—not Liberty, Life University uh, in Cambodia. Uh, it's my first time in Cambodia, and here I am in a Christian university. What a joy! And I look out here, and I see people from different parts of the world—not only from Singapore, Nagaland, but from Korea, and uh, I don't know where else. Anywhere else that I missed out? China, yes. How could I forget China? Wonderful. Jamaica, where's Jamaica? Hi there. <laughs> Lovely. And Canada. <laughs> yes. So it's a real joy. Uh, and I don't think anybody came here because of great economic prospects. We came here motivated by something else, possibly like the Apostle Paul. So this evening, I'd like to turn our attention if you will, to the book of Romans, the first chapter of Romans, a very, very familiar passage, Romans 1, 16 and 17, where Paul, talking about his journeys, his arduous journeys through um, the Roman world, suffering for Christ and desiring very much to be with his people in different destinations to encourage their faith, he comes and he says, the reason why he's doing all this. In verse 16 he says, I'm not ashamed. Because I'm not ashamed. I'm doing all these things. I'm running all over for you. Why is this? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I hope this is our sentiment today, that we feel the same way as Apostle Paul. We're not ashamed, we're bold. And I hope bold not just on campus, but also off campus, in our families, wherever we are, that we are bold about the gospel. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. And he gives a reason for that. For the power of God it is, he says. Not it contains the power of God. Not it looks like the power of God. It is the power of God. The gospel is God's power, His sovereign way of showing something. It is the power of God to salvation. To all who believe. First to the Jews and then also to the Greek. So to everybody on earth who puts their faith in Christ. And how is that? What does the gospel, what's so special about the gospel that has this power of God? What makes it so powerful? And in verse 17, Paul explains. For it is the righteousness of God that is revealed. The righteousness of God which is revealed from faith or out of faith to faith. From faith in the beginning to faith in the end. From N to A, N. From A to Z. All of it is of faith. As it is written, the just, those who would be just, those who would be accepted by God, who would please God, must live, shall live by faith. Let's look to God in a word of prayer as we consider some of these uh, words here. Oh God, we thank you that we don't have to grope in this dark world for the truth. Certainly, Lord, we look around us today in Sihanoukville, in Cambodia and all around the world. We see lots of blind men with the elephant. 
some thinking it's this shape and others thinking it's the other shape and all being blind. And Lord, we thank you that you pierce through the blindness of men's hearts to come down in space and time once and for all to show us who the Father is. No man has seen God at any time. The only beloved God, the unique God who is in the bosom of the Father has declared Him. And we thank you for that. We thank you for Christ who shows us who the Father, who God is. And so this evening as we talk about the gospel and its progress and its power, we pray that you would open our eyes and hearts and bless us with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The words, the righteousness of God being revealed from faith to faith has not always been understood the way we understand it today. When we see these words, we derive great comfort from it. We see that it is not a salvation based on works. It is by faith alone, because Christ finished the work of pleasing God, the Father, on the cross. He did it all for us. And what we do is by faith we just appropriate it. We cling on to that finished work of Jesus Christ. But it's not always been that way. There was a time when most Christians struggled with this verse. In fact, um, Martin Luther himself, the great reformer, is said to have hated this verse the most. You wonder, why? What am I talking about? This is a wonderful, glorious verse. Yeah, but before he came to the realization of its meaning, he looked at it and says, the righteousness of God with an angry face. Okay? Not the righteousness of God, but the righteousness of God, like that. Okay? He looked at it, and that's how the church taught it. The righteousness of God has to do with His justice and His making just the one who's guilty. Alright? And how is He going to do it? By making the person faithful. Okay? So, faith there is uh, one of that is subjective, that you are actually trying to do something about your faith. And so with that thought in mind, he was so angry with God. How can God, knowing you are so weak, and we have keep on failing uh, over and over, how can God be so demanding, so angry with us? We are hopeless, we are helpless, and he tried every means. Some of you have watched the movie Luther, uh, the one with James Fiennes, and he, he was on the ground, scrubbing the ground all the time, doing penance, trying to please God. And he, that's why he's so mad, because every time he does it, he fails. And then he fails, and he fails. And God is just as angry as before. He's not any more happier. He doesn't crack a smile. He's always angry. Okay? So, it wasn't until he's, he meditated on God's Word. And that's what we all need to do. When we come to the Word of God and we don't understand it or we struggle with it, think about it. Because God promises success, doesn't He? For those who meditate in His Word day and night, in Joshua and in Psalms. He says that we need to meditate in it. And Luther did that. So, he, he describes it in detail. I'll, I'll not read the whole thing, but just some quips from his writings. And around 1516, he writes, um, Early in the text, I read righteousness. I read the abstract righteousness with a concrete righteous one and became sure of my cause. I learned to distinguish between the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of the gospel. So he started to think about these things. And he says, oh, the righteousness, the word righteousness has two meanings here. It depends on the context. In some contexts, it's talking about the righteousness of the law, 
it means you have to obey the law and try to be 100% fulfilling the law and be obedient to God's word. And on the other side, there is this righteousness that is imputed by God. It's placed into your account. In one aspect, you are trying to become righteous and God is infusing righteousness into you and so on. On the other side, there is another kind of righteousness that God gives and you appropriate it by faith. So that's a very freeing thing. In the meantime, while he was thinking about these things, mulling them over and uh, trying to preach them in his church, something was happening in his backyard. In Germany, we read of a monk coming all the way from, uh, with orders from the Vatican to preach on indulgences. Some of you don't know what indulgences are. They are pieces of paper written with a nice stamp by the Pope authorizing that people who are um, sent to purgatory when they die, and we don't believe in that, that's a mythology from the Roman Catholic Church, um, that if you gave enough money to the church, then God will shorten your period of purification, of fire to burn away the bad things so that you can enter heaven with clean shoes on. Okay? So they had a doctrine which, was, which turned out to be extremely profitable. In fact, where did the money go? You know what the biggest church in the world is? Some of you might have been there. I've not been there. St. Peter's Basilica in the city of Rome, in the Vatican. Alright? So how did he get all that money to build a huge monstrosity? They got it off the backs of ordinary Christians in Germany, in France, all over the world, who beautifully bought pieces of paper called indulgences to have the sins of the mothers and fathers and grandfathers, grandmothers, who were screaming in pain to relieve them. And so they gave them money to build that church. Alright, so Luther was very upset. And rightly so. What did he do? We know the rest of the story. On Halloween, that's October 31st, and this, this year, it's going to be in 20 days time, end of this month. In October, on, on October 31st, 1517, he got to the church door, he pounded in a sheet of paper with 95 statements of theses, of arguments against purgatory, against this practice that, oh, you know, the Pope can forgive sins because um, you did something right, and so on. And we know the rest of the story, don't go into that. Um, But I just want to bring our attention to uh, the fact that if you look at the 95 Theses, it says nothing about faith, okay? Sometimes you have this um, great, grandiose idea of Luther. He was born with super intellect and with a well-formed theology by no means he struggled in fact he got very angry with God because God was an angry God and he, he God is angry but you know we see that in context so here Luther posts the 95 theses and we know the rest of the story somebody steals it makes copies it floods Germany and the whole world is changed after that in the meantime, the town has two voices. They hear from Luther, the word of God tells you the righteousness of God is from faith to faith. Not only are you saved by faith, but you are also kept by faith. 
alone. Okay? We do not become non-Christians once we get saved. Okay? We are saved by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And how are we going to live our lives? But by faith alone. Because we are weak. We need to repent of our sins. We need to call on God's grace constantly through the rest of our lives. And by the grace of God, we can live for Him. We don't become powerful and strong and independent after we get saved. So from faith to faith, this righteousness is ours. What a glorious thought. God is in our sight. And listen to Tetzel, this monk that was selling indulgences. He's got a slightly different story here. He says, Don't you hear the voices of your wailing dead parents and others who say, Have mercy on me! Have mercy on me! Because we are in severe punishment and pain. From this you could redeem us with a small, with a small arms, and yet you do not want to do so. Oh, you meanie, you know, you, you should give more money to the church so that we can get out of this heat. And then he says, um, Now is the time to hear the voice of God. The Tetzel, right? Not, not Luther. There's the Roman Catholic uh, priest there. He says, He does not want the death of the sinner. Sounds right. Sounds very merciful. But that he... Um, that, but that he be converted and live. God wants the sinner to be converted and live. How? Convert yourselves then. Jerusalem, Jerusalem to the Lord your God. Sounds really pious. But notice, he says to convert yourselves. How many of you became Christians by converting yourselves? I hope none of us, because it doesn't work. You cannot convert yourself. A baby cannot bear itself out of the mother's womb. To be born again, you have to be born of the Spirit. God has to bear you. You are passive, okay? You receive it by faith. And so, the people of Germany had to hear two different voices. One says, it's the voice of faith, and the other is the voice of self-conversion. But Luther continued um, to study the Word of God. And he derived a special a blessing from reading the book of Romans and Galatians. He, he liked Romans first and later on he liked Galatians more than he liked um, Romans and more than he liked his wife. Interesting guy. He really poured his life into the Word of God and studied it through and through. At last he says, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There, he says, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. If, the, if faith, if conversion is a gift from God to us. It is not something that we can manufacture, that we can do and make and, and, and produce. It is something that we can receive, something that we can thank God for. It is a gift. Say, thank you, Lord, for this salvation. He goes on. He says, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. What a joy! 
What a joy as we embrace this forgiveness and this new life in God. So why is that important to us tonight? We are all saved. We are Christians. Presumably, I hope all of us are, by the grace of God. Why is this important to us in the least bit? Well, first of all, we have a lot to be thankful for. Number one, the fact that we are here, that we can worship together, and there is no priest in our midst, but that all of us are priests to God. That is a blessing, the result of this. If not for that Halloween 500 years ago, exactly 20 days from now, we would not be looking into our Bibles, because the Bibles would be chained to some cloister, some pulpit, you couldn't reach it. Nor would we be praying in English, we would be chanting in Latin, or praying in Khmer, or Korean, or any other language, okay? Singlish, maybe, for Singaporeans like me. Well, I was a former one, now I live in Canada. We also, secondly, should have a burden. I'm thankful for the campus parent uh, program that the president has instituted. I got to meet close up some of the ladies there, and today we talked about Martin Luther. I wanted to introduce to them a little bit of church history, a little bit of the hymn that he wrote, and none of them had ever heard of him. Now in North America, if I asked uh, Martin Luther, and they all know the guy in Atlanta, Georgia, who brought in the civil rights movement, okay? <laughs> but here nobody had heard of it, and um, it's true, Martin Luther is not Jesus Christ, but he is like a little peg on the wall that indicates to us uh, something happened that opened the doors for us to understand the scriptures and to uh, worship Christ freely. So we need to have a burden for those who don't really understand the gospel of God's righteousness. I had to explain to them in very simple terms what it means to please God. How can a person please God? Giving money, doing good, someone said, obey the law. I said, yes, obey the law. That's the other righteousness. And what is the passing mark? I asked them, is it 50 marks? Is it 75? Is it 90%? What is the passing mark? And they knew the answer. It's 100%. And how many of them could reach 100%? Nobody could. So they knew that was useless. But we need to explain to them the other righteousness of God, which is by faith alone in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, according to the scriptures alone, all the five solas. Okay? We need to get that into their minds. And God help us, because it's not easy re- uh, explaining these concepts because we are limited by two things. We are limited by our own finiteness. We are here talking about eternal truth and infinite grace. It's hard. And we are also limited by sin, our sin nature. We want to feel a sense of self-worth. We want a sense of self-worth. We don't want to feel um, that we have no value to show before God. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply the cross I claim. Naked I fly to thee. You know, we don't want that. We want to, hey, we have some shred of dignity before God. 
Okay? And all religions give you that. Go to Islam. You can do five things. Plus jihad, number six. You can, uh, in Buddhism, you, you have the eightfold path. In uh, Hinduism, um, just be sincere. Uh, every religion gives you a break. Every religion gives you a break. But in Christianity, there's no break because it's 100% requirement. And we all flunk the test from the get-go. Okay? So, we need to explain this to all our uh, dear friends and possibly even colleagues who don't know the gospel of grace. And thirdly, we need to respond in prayer to Lord Sabaoth, the Yahweh of the armies. Why? Because not only are people ignorant, but there is a battle out there. A mighty fortress is our God. That's a beautiful hymn of the Reformation from Martin Luther. But don't forget the second half of the first stanza. A bulwark never failing, uh, our helper here amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, but still our ancient foe. Don't forget that, because Satan is on the prowl and he's not happy at all. Not happy that people are beginning to clue in to the gospel. So there is a battle out there. This ancient foes doth seek to work us woe. His power and craft are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. You need Christ. You need to call on the Son. And the Son is Lord Sabaoth. Yahweh of the armies. Yahweh who is a personal God to Israel. But he has in command all power. All power of heaven with him. Today in the church, sadly, there is a lot of movements that erode the power of the gospel. Uh, it's easy to understand uh, grace and go swing to the opposite extreme. It's one thing to rejoice in the grace of God. To rejoice that all we have to do is put our faith in Christ's finished work. That is a great thing, isn't it? But be careful, brethren, that we not follow um, the contemporary Christian trend to go to the other extreme to cheapen that grace, to lighten, to make it something that is you know, loosey-goosey and fun and so on. We, we can't swing to the other extreme because we are talking about the blood price of God's Son. So there needs to be a real holy reverence as we rejoice, as we embrace that wonderful freeing truth. We need to be very sober about things. In our world, we have all kinds of movements, and I teach the course of uh, current religious problems. And some of the problems we look at are the Pentecostal and charismatic movement that hides things up and lightens, lightens things. Uh, mysticism. What happens is they, they look at Luther and the tradition of looking at the scripture and say, that's too cerebral. You're using your head too much and you're not using your heart. That is so wrong. We do not need to balance head with heart. You know what we need to do? We need to meditate in God's word day and night. Use the head. Crunch. That's not... By the way, our meditation is different from Buddhist meditation and all that. It involves the mind. Sucking in and sitting in and chewing on God's word. And what happens after that? God's word will get into your cells, into your bones. It'll, you ingest it. And it will change you and transform you from within. So that you are both head and followed by heart. In sequence, you will follow Christ. If it doesn't get to your heart, you have not understood the word correctly and the Holy Spirit has not worked on you. 
but you do not lighten one's uh, one part of your uh, being, the brain, in order to exalt the heart and put them on par. You don't do that. You come to God's word and you look at it squarely and say, This is the word of God. Thus said the Lord. This is what God demands. These are propositions that we need to embrace. Like it or not, this is the word of God. And let that come in and say, God, help me, as Luther did. He didn't like some of what God said. He didn't understand it, but he didn't like it. And he accepted it and God changed him. In conclusion, I'd like to um, invite us to consider the three Halloweens in the world. The first Halloween we all know is the secular Halloween. We see pumpkins and what else? Jack-o'-lanterns, right? Uh, light, um, carve out the pumpkin and put light. That's the Western world. And dress up all weird and go trick-or-treating and all that. What's the second one? The second one is a religious one. Remember Martin Luther? On the 31st of October, they had All Hallows Eve. All Hallows, Hallows Eve, Hallows Eve, Hallows Eve, Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Okay, so you get Halloween from that. Alright, because the next day, November the 1st, would be All Hallows Day. Not Eve, but Day. All Saints Day, exactly. What's All Saints Day? Who's a saint? No, 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 no. You can't be a saint. In Catholic theology, you have to be canonized and processed by the church and exalted as a saint. And the rest of you, you can celebrate the following day, November the 2nd. Right? All Souls Day, you're just soul. You're not saint, you're soul. Okay? So all that stuff is, is the baggage that Halloween has. And we reject it. The scriptures say we are kings and priests and God. We are saints. We are... Uh, sanctified, we purified, we're even glorified in God's eyes, even though it hasn't happened yet. But the third thing is that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, the Reformation. The Reformation all Halloween is a blessed one. And I hope that we all can celebrate in our hearts and maybe outwardly as well. Looking back to 500 years, do it. Because you have to wait another 500 years for the next one. What a glorious, joyful Salvation is ours, even as you sit here. This is the month. If you're going to do it, do it now. And thank God for it. In closing, um, I don't know if I can uh, sing with you the great reformational hymn, the reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I invite you, if you would. And our dear sister, would you be willing to play for us um, A Mighty Fortress? And I have the song sheets here, so you don't have to depend on the memory.
Thank you, Reverend Joseph, for the inspiring and very encouraging message you have brought to us tonight. We look forward to have you uh, even in the days to come. Uh, we now will enter uh, into a session of prayer. Uh, once again, I'm very much privileged to be standing here when all the reverends and pastors are around. I am nobody, but uh, I'm, a I'm, a I'm very much privileged to be standing here in a, again and again, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I love a uh, lot of quotations, whether it be secular or whether it be from Bible, whatever good, I love. And I love this one quotation, whoever kneels before God can uh, stand uh, before anyone. Whoever kneels before God, you know, kneeling before God is to humble ourselves, to go before Him, admitting that we are weak by ourselves, and we kneel down in humble, uh, in humbleness. Then, if you kneel down before God, you'll you'll be able to stand before anyone. So the reason I'm sharing this is um, we have a big we have big program coming up along. Uh, in a, by next week that is at the Bible camp uh, in as far as I know about uh, the having been here for three years the Bible camp that we conduct we focus so much on organizing activities and like I feel that we lack in the spiritual uh, part uh, we fail to how do I say we fail to hit the mark and we don't see much progress that is what I feel personally and therefore, 